What is going on, everybody? It's your boy, Nathan Crankfield, founder and host of the Seeking Excellence podcast. It is beyond wonderful to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, you know, I had a lot of debate in my mind of like what the podcast about today. We're still, you know, coming out of coming out of COVID and traveling and things like that. Unbelievably behind in like everything, right? So like still podcasting week to week, uh, which has its own challenges for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, got some talks coming up. So I'm like stressing and writing on those. Emily and I are traveling to the Diocese of Tulsa, Oklahoma to speak at their Diocesan Youth Conference this weekend. Super stoked to, to be able to give two talks each there this weekend. And so super pumped for that. But have to rec- uh, prepare those. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way last minute now to record those as well um, and to, to post them. I wish I had recorded my one on masculinity from last week. And so today's going to be another shorter episode. Um, it's going to lead into some of the stuff we're going to be breaking down next week, which I've been waiting to get into for forever. When I tell you I have literally like 10 dope podcasts written that I haven't recorded yet, and I wrote them like five weeks ago. On top of that, I have like a ton of guests lined up and like ready to go that like I haven't scheduled with. And man, it's been it's been tough. It's been tough, uh, you know, uh, just trying to stay on track and obviously have the commitment of getting at least one out per week. So this is going to be our one for this week. Uh, Praise God and uh, praise Hallow, uh, obviously in different ways. But thank you to Hallow. I have off tomorrow for Veterans Day. The whole company has off for tomorrow for Veterans Day. And I'm going to do some catching up. I'm going to do some podcasting, some writing, catching up on emails. I have like 140 Instagram messages, like 60 texts right now, uh, like a bunch of emails and stuff. So I'm just going to try to catch up tomorrow on my day off. Had some friends over this past week. My uh, future best man, Bob Doherty, his wonderful wife, Sarah. Uh, Bobby heard on the podcast. Sarah is an upcoming guest. Uh, they were here this past week for a uh, wedding. So we had a scat team wedding. If you, if you don't know what scat team is, that's a top, that's a story for another time. But uh, very excited to have had them this past weekend uh, and be able to host them, but uh, did not get as ahead on things as I knew I wouldn't. Um, anytime you have guests, right? You never get ahead on things. So today I'm going to talk about a blog that we have coming out very soon. So we have not release this one yet or maybe we have no this is the one that we have so yeah so yeah so this blog is actually up i'm going to link it in the the show notes for this podcast had to remember there for a second because i wrote like two in a week one for the holy ruckus if you haven't checked out the holy ruckus blog and i think they have a podcast as well i've never been on the podcast i'm pretty sure i have not been on the podcast but i uh write for their blog every now and then so definitely check out that one when it comes out here soon, I'll be sharing that stuff on social media. I also think that tomorrow, meaning Friday, uh, November 12th, I have a podcast coming out on uh, the Sheepdogs podcast. So I'll be sharing that on social media and stuff as well. I got interviewed by them a couple of weeks ago. But today I'm going to talk about a, a blog that I wrote actually for Seeking Excellence. So hence the, the confusion there. Um, wrote this blog for Seeking Excellence. I believe we posted it a couple of weeks ago. I'm not entirely sure on that. If I'm being honest with you, um, um, I've been a hot mess, but, uh, you know, I started off, it's, 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 I think titled something like discipleship and personal finance. And so one of the things that I started talking about was, you know, as I've just been doing a lot of writing lately and things like that. And I was like, man, if I was ever tempted 
in my life to make seeking excellence like the Catholic version of anything or uh, to really hone in. The way I really thought about it was like to hone in on just one pillar. If I could just hone in on one of the seven pillars of excellence, if you don't know those, I want everybody, I want it just to be drilled into your soul to remember these. So that's why I say it so often. And honestly, I don't think I say it often enough, but mental, emotional, physical, financial, professional, social, and spiritual. Those are the seven pillars of excellence. Now think for yourself, if Nathan could hone in on just one pillar of excellence, what would that pillar be? I, I would, I'd be very curious to know what you, you think the answer is to that question. So I'm giving you a second to think about it, doing kind of a pop quiz today that you have no context for knowing the answer. I guess not no context. I talk about it a lot, but the answer is not spiritual, which might make me a heathen, but it would actually be finance. And I just love all things finance. I love the bigger pockets podcast. I love the Dave Ramsey show. I love reading books about money. I love learning about real estate. I love learning about crypto. I watch crypto videos every single day. Um, Drove Emily absolutely nuts uh, there for a time, but she's grown to accept my obsession. And so, uh, you know, one, it's just, it's just one of my things that I really, really love. And so I'm going to break down today some of the background knowledge on what I think is important about discipleship and personal finance why I think it's so important, why it would be my my number one pick if I had to focus on it. And it's a great kind of segue into what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Because in the next few weeks, we're going to be diving deep into some personal finance podcasts that I had written that I've been so excited to share with you guys and just have not had the time, have not made the time. Let me not be a, a, a scrub. I have not made the time to record them. And so uh, one of the things that I've really come to know or realize or, or witness over my time as a Catholic, I've been Catholic now for 15 years, is that, uh, especially when I was a parish consultant, but even now uh, working in, in with schools and parishes, is there's this big like lamentation of the exodus from the Catholic Church, right? Like some of these stats are absolutely nuts. Let me pull some up for you real quick, actually. All right, so boom. So these are credited to uh, Hallow. These are some Hallow presentation stats that we share sometimes when presenting. So, um, I, man, I should have done it so I could actually share my screen for those of you watching on YouTube. Maybe I will do that real quick. So obviously, uh, just some crazy stats, man. You know, it's been a wild time, obviously, for the church. Uh, these last several uh, decades have been pretty wild. I've already done my podcast on like a little bit on Vatican II and things like that. I want to talk about it more in the future. Um, I feel like I have some semi-hot takes, not super hot takes, um, but definitely some semi-hot takes on what has caused that. So I'm going to go ahead and share my old screen. So this is finally a good push for uh, people in our YouTube. We don't often push the old YouTube channel, but I honestly don't know if this is on YouTube right now as you're listening to it because we're a little delayed because I'm recording this like four hours before I'm going to post it. So anyways, if you can see that on the screen, dude, these numbers are nutty. 950 baptisms, infant baptisms in the U.S. Now that's broken down by uh, thousands. And then we're down to 550 in 2020. So this is 1980 to 2020, kind of a side-by-side comparison. Then if you see, we had 8,000 Catholic elementary schools now we have 4,900 in 2020. 58, uh, this is by thousands, 58,000 58, priests, I believe is the number there. And now we're down to 36,000 priests. Former Catholic adults uh, was 3.2 by thousands. And now it's up to 
Dude, that's nutty, right? <clears throat> Absolutely crazy. So if you can see here, huge numbers of like stress and anxiety and things like that, that has obviously gotten like super out of control. But I think one of the craziest parts is just realizing like how much numbers of so many Catholic things are down, right? Some of the things that we value. And uh, I think it's obviously a huge challenge. It's a huge thing that we're facing. And it's something that obviously bothers a lot of Catholics, especially a lot of Catholic parents and stuff like that, whose kids have left the church or they're nominally Catholic or whatever. And so it's obviously a huge problem. Um, and I've been really intrigued, you know, by uh, especially the mass exodus of Catholics into a lot of like evangelical non-denom kind of churches. And I myself had a season or a phase of my life where I was really drawn to some of those churches, right? And so I never stopped going to mass from the time I got my driver's license at 16. I don't think I've ever missed mass on Sunday, excluding like when quarantined or in Afghanistan, stuff like that, right? I don't think there's ever been a Sunday where I've woken up and just decided to not go to mass. Totally thanks be to God, right? Still uh, just an unbelievable heathen, but uh, especially in certain times, periods in there. Uh, but just always had that as my anchor. I'm never going to not go to Sunday Mass. I think I encourage that many, many times in the past uh, because I think that it's a time that forces you to focus and reflect on how am I living out my spiritual life? How am I living my life? All that kind of stuff, right? You at least know that you'll never fully fall away if you at least go to Mass every Sunday. Doesn't mean that that's the pinnacle, right? Uh, you can still be a really trash human being and go to Mass every Sunday. There's thousands of people who do it every week um but it still at least like diminishes your chances of being a trash human being immensely i think still possible but at least gives you some time where you have to like look at jesus think about him at least a little bit um and that's always a good thing that's always going to help so uh i went through this period of my life it was kind of like coming out of college there was a, a non-denominational church that i can't remember the name of uh in frederick maryland it was huge um and I went there a couple times in college, a few times. I volunteered in Frederick at the Police Activities League with inner city kids. And um, a bunch of them would go there because the guy, uh, Brandon, who would lead that, uh, went to that church. So if they had special events with the kids and stuff like that, we'd go. But I also just like enjoyed going. I thought it was fun. Um, emphasis on I thought it was fun. Uh, but Moving on from that, I, I kind of continued like watching Elevation and Transformation Church. Those were kind of my top two. As I got into the Army, I remember like in North Carolina, post-deployment was probably like my peak with it. It was like every Sunday I would go to Mass and then come home and watch Elevation Church. It was like my jam, right? So that was kind of my routine. And so I really loved them. Um, but my love for a lot of Protestant things, Protestant authors and things like that actually preceded that, preceded my deployment. Um, so we're talking like 2016, 2017, um, 2015 even. I remember I read like multiple John Eldridge books that year. My family, my my mom included, uh, a lot of times when I was in college and starting to get more into my faith because so many of them were Protestant or like my mom had a Protestant background. They would buy me a lot. Of, I, would get, I would get Bibles. It was so funny. It was like every Christmas and birthday, I would get a Bible. And it was like, guys, how many of these do you think I need? And the the great irony was that none of them were Catholic. I would always get Protestant Bibles. So at one point in my life, I had like 11 Protestant Bibles and zero Catholic ones. Proud to announce now that I do have a Catholic Bible. This is up there next to my uh, my chair that I pray in in the mornings. So funny though. Uh, what a time, what a time to be alive that it was. And, but I would also get a lot of Protestant books, right? A lot of authors and things like that. And what I came uh, to realize was that I loved them. I loved a lot of them. Some of my favorites, 
that I talked about in this blog here were John Eldridge, Dave Ramsey, Gary Chapman. Uh, I mean, the, the wisdom that you can find in some of those books, especially as I was getting out of college, going into the military, John Eldridge was huge in me understanding my masculinity and understanding manhood um, and just like really shaping me or my understanding or my vision of what type of man I wanted to become. Who did I want to be, right? What does being a man of God look like in today's world? Super helpful. I'm talking wild at heart. I'm talking father by God. I'm talking killing lines. And then desire was the fourth one. I read all of those, I think, in my first, between my senior year of college and my uh, first year in the army. Love them. Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages. If you've never heard of it, you got to read it. Uh, Dave Ramsey, Boundaries is another great one. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, and I can never remember the second person that wrote that. Um, I'm trying to think of some of my other favorites. I have a bunch of them on the shelf, like right behind me. But man, I mean, just some absolute bangers, right? Like some of these books are just absolutely incredible. Uh, Play the Man by Batterson. I really love that one. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any other good ones. Follow Me by, I think it's David Platt. Uh, really great, really great book. Oh man, just so good. So many great uh, Protestant books. And I know if you've heard me talk for more than 15 minutes before, I'm generally uh, like a pretty, I'm like a pretty ardent Catholic and like, you know, <laughs> believe that essentially like Protestantism is heresy. And I don't think that I really waver on that. But what I came to learn as I was reflecting and praying, especially as I was drifting into this uh, time period in my life, because this is what was really interesting, is that my uh, I I call 2019 my year of like orthodox revolution, um, the revolution of orthodoxy in my life and really starting to appreciate orthodoxy, conservatism, all that stuff. So I've really only, I've probably only gotten to the point where I really consider myself a conservative in like 2018, 19. So really like two, three years. I'm a baby conservative out here, dog. Um, But in many ways, I think a mature one, especially if you consider a lot of the stuff Republicans do now. But I don't consider myself like a diehard Republican. I consider myself a Catholic conservative. Anyways, what I started to realize, dude, I'm like thinking about like, you know, all these important topics and really like evaluating a lot of my positions in life on social issues, on spiritual life, all these things. And I started to evaluate a lot of these Protestant churches. So first, I'm going to criticize them. Then I'm going to applaud them. So the first thing that I started to realize, I've never done my like conversion story to conservatism. Conversion is not the right word, but um, my journey to being conservative, I should say. I've never really shared that, but I want to. That's another podcast I need to do. I have all these ideas for podcasts. I've been like, today I sit down to record. and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I swear I'm an idiot sometimes. But part of my journey a little sneak peek, a little preview, a little trailer, if you will, was in 2019. I saw the movie with one of my uh, one of my army friends, Rocky. We saw the movie. I believe it was him. I'm pretty sure it was Rocky. We saw the movie Unplanned. If you've never seen Unplanned, it's about Abby Johnson, also a convert to Catholicism. I believe she's a convert. Uh, and she worked at Planned Parenthood. She had a couple abortions herself. Worked at Planned Parenthood, has this huge like change of heart, right? And is obviously now one of the biggest voices in the pro-life movement. So I saw that movie and I left. And what that movie did for me was it gave me such a deeper understanding in how big and important the issue of abortion is in the United States of America today. And so I had always been pro-life. I think I would have always told you that I was pro-life had you asked. Um, I used to consider, you know, of like the biggest issues 
uh, when I was like a teenager, some of the biggest issues from like abortion to gay marriage to um, uh, like things like the death penalty or whatever. Like I always felt like uh, abortion was the easiest to pick a side on. Um, just always made the most sense to me. And then I would have said at that time that probably uh, gay marriage was the most difficult to pick a pick a side on during my you know late teen years and things like that. And uh, when I became like when I saw uh, the movie uh, Unplanned and became more uh, started my journey of becoming more conservative, what I did was I really wanted to like shore up my understanding of why people should be pro life. I was kind of pro life like a lot of um, people believe in God, where it's just like you just do right. Like there's not really like a philosophical argument you might not have a great answer for somebody who's like why do you think god exists you know i think a, a majority of churchgoers do not have a deep philosophical answer they can give to that right they couldn't write you a 10-page paper and necessarily convince somebody other than like emotional pleas and things like that which i don't think is a a, a bad thing you know obviously it's better to have faith than not um but i think the ultimate is always to have an understanding of why you believe what you believe and so i started watching a lot of videos and getting deeper into like the pro-life movement what you learn as you go deeper and deeper into the pro-life movement, as Abby Johnson did, I believe, according to what I what at least in my head is her conversion story, is Catholics are really involved in the pro-life movement, right? You have things like live action headed by Lila Rose. Um, and there's just a lot of Catholics that talk about it. Uh, the March for Life is is filled with a ton of Catholics every year. Um, and we're just we're just really in many ways on the front lines, not alone. There's a lot of Christian denominations who are part of it. Um, but it's a heavily Catholic thing. And what I came to understand and what this, this time period coincided with the time that I stopped watching Protestants, I stopped listening to the podcast, Elevation Church, all that stuff. Even for a time period, I stopped listening to a lot of their music, which has now come back into my life in a lot of ways. But, but as I was becoming more and more passionate about being pro-life and all this stuff, I was like, man. Stephen Furtick has never talked about this, you know, and I loved him at that time. I had read multiple of his books as well, and I thought he was a great preacher and all these different things, but it really started to make me question a lot of like Protestant things because I was like, man, you know, and, and this isn't true for all of them equally for sure, but like some of these megachurch pastors, Joel Osteen's or your Stephen Furtick's or I forget what's the girl's name. Oh, she really drives me nuts. Oh, Joyce Meyer. Oh, she, yeah, she really drives me crazy. Um, but also my boy, uh, Michael Todd at um, Transformation Church. You know, I was like, I was like, dude, I could do that. You know, and obviously I'm cocky and I'm prideful in certain ways. But I'm like, if I were, and I even think about this, like with a lot of Catholics, right? This isn't a hundred, like we don't crush it. We don't, we don't bat a thousand on this by any means. But people know where the Catholic Church stands on abortion, on gender ideology, on even racism. I mean, generally, we should know where the church stands on racism against it, right? And also against communism. Um, and and I, I say that with, obviously, a, a um, BLM in mind, specifically. Uh, but they also know where we stand on gay marriage. They know where we stand on a lot of stuff, right? IVF, they know where we stand on contraception. There's a lot of Catholics who deny what the church teaches on those things, but I don't think there's many people in the world who don't know what the church teaches on those things. And I had listened to Elevation Church for years, and I did not know where Pastor Stephen Furtick stood on any of those issues, I don't think. And so to me, 
when you start to realize like, wow, abortion is the greatest evil of our time, which I think is just like undeniably true. If I need to expand on that someday, I can. But it's, yeah, we're literally like murdering millions of babies. It's the worst thing that we could possibly do. I think borderline worst things we could possibly do as humans. I haven't thought about that enough to make it the worst thing we could possibly do, but it's got to be a top five, right? Bottom five, however you want to look at it. So to not have a stance on that as a person who's trying to spiritually lead millions of people to me is, is, a, is a concern, right? Like that's, it's, quite, it's quite troubling, quite troubling, especially since you're making so much money doing it, especially because you're making so much money doing it that you wouldn't be making had you actually spoken up for the truth. So there's like this cute, you know, ambiance or like uh, theme in a lot of these like non-denom churches that are like making people feel good. And it's just like, there's a very attractive message of Christianity that just like, it's very understandable that there's never a crucifix in any of these churches because the idea of suffering or like, you know, being persecuted on that stuff, like it's just not talked about. The only time it's talked about is, is if you're going to be triumphant in this life um, because of your sufferings, God's preparing you for blessings and things like, I guess, so prosperity and like washed up and all this like niceness that just like, claims to be very scripture-based uh, and, and reject tradition while not even being scripture-based and rejecting tradition, which is not scripture-based and it's just stupid. Sorry, that might have been a little tough. But that's what I think a lot of the Protestant churches do wrong. And that was where I started to really evaluate and be like, this doesn't make any sense. You can't read early Christians. I mean, how many converts are there that just literally started reading the early Christians and realized like, yeah, you got to be Catholic. Dude. <laughs> There's no there's no option. Like you literally have to be Catholic. You read the first 500 years of Christianity of Christian writers apart from the heretics. And it's like, yeah, you got to be Catholic. Like it's, it's pretty much like the only option. Um, there's a whole other podcast to do on that. The Catholic warrior, if you don't follow them on Instagram, they posted a really great post today with like six quotes from early Christians for like the first uh, four centuries of Christianity. Uh, bomb, just awesome quotes. And it's just like, man, it's so good. And so you start to realize these things, right? And I'm like, man, that's just not good. This isn't right that they don't speak against this stuff. And I was just like, I'm not listening to this anymore. Like this, I had heard this, the, the rumors and things like that, the murmurings in the church of like all that feel good Christianity, like it's actually not good for you. And that was when I finally realized, like, I don't think that it is. I really don't. I was like, this is actually actively bad for me. Um, and you can read from the Catholic Warriors post about uh, what the, some of the church fathers said about some of those things um heresy and protestantism and things like that so at the same time i like to consider myself somewhat of a fair evaluator of things and i also realized a lot of good things that protestants did and because i was like man you know like they don't have the theology they don't have the tradition they don't have the saints they don't have there's so many things i'm like they don't have the eucharist like you can't read i don't know how i, I i've always been curious of this of like trained or like theologically or like really you know educated protestants of just having one of them explain to me john six because i don't I, I i genuinely don't understand how you can just ignore that chapter of the bible that to me very clearly supports the eucharist disregard all the hundreds of years of the time after jesus where it was like the only belief right and then by hundreds of years i mean like 1500 years and then even the first protestants martin luther when he broke off and created lutheranism still taught that he still prayed the rosary he still did a lot of catholic things and now you have churches that look so different than what the early protestants even thought was right right uh that's this is i don't want to derail too much into this 
But I was like, you know, how are we losing so many Catholics to these churches? Obviously, there's the feel-good aspect of it. People are super emotional and not logical. Um, there's the entertainment aspect of it, which I think is huge. Um, you know, the music. I like the pastor. He's funny. He's in the skinny jeans. He's got his hair cut every other day um, because he's a, a billionaire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's like, okay, cool. You know, like whatever works for you. They're more inclusive and all this other BS that people fall into. But I think uh, my other thing in my seeking excellence mind, because I had thought about seeking excellence many, many, many moons before this current uh, self-evaluation that was happening that I'm telling you about, is seeking excellence. Uh, one of the things that was really formed out of this was the expansion of the pillars and uh, the understanding of like what really kind of like closed the loop for me of like, why all this other stuff? I was like, am I just like, is this the Protestant in me that's really drawn to this? Uh, these other pillars, I'm talking things like the social pillar, the financial pillar, the professional pillar. Because you have your John Maxwell's, you have your Gary Chapman's, you have your um, Dave Ramsey's and things like that who talk about these things, right? So I started praying with that, started thinking about it. And what I realized was I was like, man, go back to the greatest evangelist of all time. His name's Jesus. Um, number two, arguably, St. Paul, right? Also really good. Baptized a lot of people, did a lot of great things. Uh, performed some miracles here and there. St. Peter as well, also uh, in the Hall of Fame for evangelization. And so when I thought about it, I was like, man, you know, we, we talk about this a lot in theology of when Jesus was going around preaching the gospel, right? He was very challenging. He was very bold. He was very committed to the truth. He was also very loving. He was also very merciful. He also had a message of hope. And one of the ways that he displayed that message of hope and he displayed that mercy and love for his people was that he healed a ton of people, right? So again, if you go back to John 6, the sermon on, or, or not the Sermon on the Mount, what the heck's wrong with me? The Bread of Life discourse, where Jesus talks about the Eucharist and kind of institutes the Eucharist in a certain sense, you know, like at least philosophically um, institutes the Eucharist actually at the Last Supper. But uh, if you think about what happened there before that, he fed the 5,000, right? He fed the crowds. And so one of the things a lot of theologians, both Protestant and Catholics will look to in that is that Jesus fed the people before he preached them, right? He fed them before he fed them. You know, get it? Fed them before he fed them fed them with truth, fed them with bread and the fish with the kid and all that stuff. Yeah. So you can go back and reread that if you want to, but he fed them before he fed them. Right. So that's important. A lot of times before you preach in places, healed the paralytic, he healed the blind man, he healed the deaf. Um, you know, he raised the dead. He did all these miracles right before he would do those things. And I think some of it's obviously establishing credibility as well, but he also just like wanted to fill their needs because you're going to be a great evangelist if you know, your sins are forgiven or if your blindness is restored, right? Like you're going to go and tell the world about these things um, and you're going to be more passionate about it. And, and he wanted to also solve the problems that people had and he had the ability to do so. So I, I came to this conclusion that I was like, man, what are those things in modern day America? Because the truth is that we don't have lepers just running around our streets. There's obviously homeless people for sure. There's obviously poor people, but there was no middle class in Jesus' day, right? Like we're doing a lot better financially than they were back then. Um, you know, thanks be to God and thanks be to the American experiment of democracy and capitalism. Uh, things are going pretty well, right? Uh, I mean, I know we like to think that it's the end of the world, uh, but there was a, like, poverty back then was just unbelievable. If you were a widow or a single parent, or unbelievable, right? The outcasts, the leper colonies, things like that. It was rugged. I mean, medicine was not one one thousandth of what it is today. 
uh, you know, there was no hearing aids or things like that. Uh, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of, we may, we've come a long way. Let's put it that way. We've come a long way. And so I think it's important to realize. So I'm like, what are the modern day things? And this was my big conclusion. So I'm building up to this moment. I know the suspense has been killing you. It's terrible. You hope it lasts, but you also hope that it ends. And uh, sometimes I'm amazed at any of you guys listen to me. I think you're crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're here, nonetheless, to listen to my ramblings. What I came to realize was I was like, obviously, there's spiritual hunger. Obviously, there's a spiritual need. Obviously, there's the, the need for Jesus for, in people's lives. But I'm like, what is the thing that typically keeps people away from being able to see that spiritual need? Because it was those blind people, the paralytics, all these things, right? Like, and you watch The Chosen, if you've seen the episode about the paralytic down by the pool, I think this is really displayed in that. He was much more open to seeing his spiritual needs once his physical needs were met. Um, it's just hard. I mean, if you're starving, it's hard to like, I mean, I've been starving. I've been in range of school and things like that. It's hard to pray the rosary when you're starving. You know, it just is. It's a challenge. And so what are the things that people are facing today? I think we live in a world today where we have an abundance of knowledge and a lack of wisdom. So we have access to all types of information, but we lack a lot of wisdom information in, uh, in, in a lot of these most important areas, answering life's most important questions. And so what I realized as I had this breaking off with Elevation Church and Transformation Church and all these other places and things like that, is I was like, what is it that draws me to a lot of Protestant things that were kind of my gateway into these nonsensical evangelical churches? And what I realized was I was like, oh, my Protestant roots were all John Eldridge, Dave Ramsey, Gary Chapman, right? And I was like, I think that's it. That's what it is. We live in a world today that has a 50% divorce rate. We live in a world today where we have this middle class and all this financial opportunity and all this opportunities to thrive. And we have trillions of dollars of consumer debt, right? Between uh, car loans, house payments, um, credit card debt, and uh, student loans, and, and among other things, right? Uh, you know, we have, I already mentioned the divorce rate. We have this attack on masculinity right? We're like, all masculinity is evil and wrong. We have this attack that says, you know, uh, um, the gender ideology and all this stuff, right? Attack against patriarchy, toxic masculinity. And I was like, these are the questions that I'm getting answered in these Protestant churches that I'm not finding in the Catholic church. So Gary Chapman, the five love languages, that's revolutionary in a relationship, right? Love and respect. Another great book that really breaks down and, and has shaped, largely shaped the majority of my like philosophical approach to relationships in my relationship, especially with Emily, um, it's wild, right? Like, I mean, I mean, really a lot of my life and it's a Protestant, Protestant author who wrote these books, John Eldridge on masculinity, uh, Dave Ramsey with money and a lot of other people with money, uh, Protestant or, or authors, even in my professional life, leadership, John Maxwell crushed it, dude. Like, I mean, it's taught me so, so much. And so I started to realize like, these are some of the biggest needs. And this is where I feel like a lot of the church has missed. And there's not really the Catholic option for those things. And so I think I'm a long way at 28 years old, engaged. I'm not a millionaire yet. Um, you know, like I, I don't have the years and years of leadership experience. Uh, I don't think I'm in a place to be the expert, but that's what we're trying to do here. Just so you know, on a deeper philosophical level, purpose-driven level, uh, we want to be that. Seeking excellence is all about the truth of the faith, the truth of the church, the tradition passed down and lived out through our modern times. 
And we have to be able to not only address these issues that other people have, but also fix them in our own lives, right? I always say that like in evangelization, you know, when I was in the army, like uh, people listened to me a lot more because I had a ranger tap when I was leading faith formation and things like that, right? I didn't need it. Uh, you know, it doesn't change my value as a human being. Didn't make me better than anybody else, but it didn't hurt to, you know, to get the attention of men. Still does it when I'm speaking at men's conferences or last week I got to speak to a group of, of high school boys and it never hurts to say I jumped out of planes that I went to war that I went to ranger school, right? Like it just helps. And I think the same thing goes when you have money, when you're, you're financially successful and you're successful in your job. If I'm going to try to evangelize at work, I'm going to try to evangelize at church. If I'm going to try to evangelize, I can't be, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to do anything at all if you're divorced or things like that, but it helps to be in a happy marriage. If you're going to be trying to tell people about how to live their lives, right? It helps to be, to be good at your job, to show up on time. If you're going to be trying to be the Catholic example or the Christian example at your job, uh, you know, it helps if you're going to meet people at the gym and stuff like that, like it helps to have a little bit of muscle, you know, it's, it, I think that, um, a lot of times, and sometimes to oftentimes to a fault, uh, expertise in one area is thought to be expertise in other areas, right? You can lean upon your accomplishments in one area to give you some credibility and establish you in somebody's mind as an authority figure or as a figure of, that they should listen to um, because you've succeeded in other things. And so obviously, you know, like I said before, like excellence is, is addictive, right? It's, a, it's addicting, it's habitual, spreads out into these other areas of your life like a rising tide raises all ships, you're going to be better at everything over time um, because you're pursuing a life of excellence. And so that was what I came to realize, you know, and I, I think I've been rambling for quite a while now, but I'll let you read the rest in the blog. But I think, um, you know, you really have to, to be pondering upon these things and think about why is it that some of the, so many people have left the church and have faded into some of these other evangelical things. Of course, I think the music, the funny pastors, the skinny jeans, all that cute stuff, uh, the feel-good gospel is always appealing, I think. Um, but I truly do believe that a lot of it, for a lot of people like myself, how it was for me, is, is the gateway can be that they're answering the questions that we have, um, that we demand answers to, right? And so they're not afraid to talk about money. They're not afraid to talk about relationships. They're not afraid to talk about uh, fitness in a lot of them. They're not afraid to talk about uh, you know, some of these difficult topics that are, are kind of that, that next tier down, ironically, from what the church is willing to talk about. The church is willing to address abortion and same-sex marriage and gender ideology and Marxism and all this stuff, which is important, obviously, because it's about saving souls. But sometimes I need you to address the fact that I don't know how to be a good father before I need you to address, you know, my lack of understanding of the importance of the sacrament of confession. You know, and that's what I think we really need to think about as a church. And we really need to be each one of us as the seekers of excellence, as the leaders in the church, as the leaders in our local community. We need to be thinking about which of these areas am I really lacking in? Which ones are my huge holes? Which ones am I not as formed in? So we can be those people. So we can solve those problems for other people because people are really intrigued by that. They're really interested in uh, solving the biggest problems in their life. And when they can get some of those things out of the way, they're much more open to hearing the truth. I know I was. And so I want to encourage you today to take stock of your life. Think about those seven pillars. Which ones are you really slacking in? Um, and which ones can you be growing in and, and starting to learn more about? And what have been some of your major influences in your life in those areas? Because we all have ideologies or philosophies or approaches to those things. 
um, whether it's your money, your job, your relationship. And it's really important that you evaluate how those, your philosophies, your approach to those things is formed um, because it's going to really impact a lot of your life. And uh, the other thing is that I saw it draw a lot of people away, right, from their faith lives, whether it be financial issues that lead to divorce or whether it be social issues that just lead people away from Christ. Um, that kind of stuff's important. So think about that. Pray about that. What are the areas that you really need to grow in today and moving forward? And know that we are here to help. We're here to help. So check out the blog in that link attached to this podcast. Um, I'll also have uh, Dan throw it on the YouTube channel. If you watch with us today on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe. Leave us a review on the podcast or YouTube channel. Really can't express to you how much that means to us. Uh, we don't try to ask for much in return for doing this. Um, but it really means a lot if you could just leave us a review. Uh, only takes a second to tap the stars. And uh, you have to help me balance out some. Of, we either have five stars or one star. So the only type of reviews we get. And you know we got haters out there because we try to preach this bold truth. So if you're listening to the podcast, please go and uh, just tap those tap those stars for us real quick. Really appreciate it. I hope that everybody has a great weekend. Uh, continue to fight hard and strive to be your best. We do have those upcoming podcast on personal finance that I am so excited to release to you next week. I think it's going to be huge. I think you're going to love it. Um, I have a lot to share and had a crazy journey from not being able to afford army uniforms, having $300 in my uh, bank account as a uh, young second lieutenant to uh, really, really growing my ex my net worth uh, exponentially over the last six years. And so excited to share some of that journey with you and what I've learned in reading and listening to a lot of different things about personal finance. And we're going to change the, the Catholic world on some of these things. Um, and hopefully by that, change the world in general. So uh, stay, uh, stay hard, as David Goggins would say. Don't be soft. Uh, Father Meyer called me this past week and told me he loved my comment about being more St. Thomas, uh, being more like St. Thomas more than being like a hoe. Uh, and so be St. Thomas more out there. Be tough. And uh, continue to fight the good fight, my friends. We're not out of this battle yet. God, Godspeed.